for low-income New Yorkers who need day-to-day -day assistance and are at risk of becoming homeless and often need services to address either a disability or mental health problems, supportive housing is one of the main alternatives to life in an institutional setting or becoming unhoused. But supportive housing is expensive to operate, and there aren't enough properties to meet the demand around New York, so there is a constant push for policymakers to invest more in staff and construction. To talk about what sort of investments should be made in the state budget this year, we're joined on the Capitol Press Room by Pascal Leone, CEO of the Supportive Housing Network of New York, which represents more than 200 nonprofits that develop and operate supportive housing. Welcome to the show, Pascal. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, Pascal, for starters, for people who might not be familiar with supportive housing, how would you describe the services that are provided and who this is targeted for? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so supportive housing is permanent, meaning for as long as an individual family needs it. And it's affordable housing where individual or family pays no more than 30% of their income towards rent. And it's tied with critical on-site case management that provides connections to community-based wraparound support services. So things like mental health treatment, drug addiction counseling, benefits counseling, job training, and more. And so it's really for folks who are struggling with homelessness um, and other barriers to housing stability. And so it came about in the early 1980s as a response to widespread chronic homelessness, right? But the, the, the model and the evidence-based intervention really has evolved over the years to serve more at-risk uh, populations. So folks who not only were formerly unhoused, those who are struggling with mental illness or substance use disorders, survivors of domestic violence, veterans, youth aging out of foster care, as well as individuals who are involved in the criminal legal system. Well, especially in the wake of the pandemic, we hear a lot about homelessness today. So how does the capacity for the supportive housing systems in New York compare to the demand for those services? Yeah, and the demand is great. The issue of housing is a defining one of our time, right? On any given night last year, over 100,000 individuals in New York experienced homelessness. But unfortunately, that burden and disadvantage was not felt equally, right? Of that 100,000, over 60% were African-Americans, um, though we make up about 12% of the state population. Uh, Latinx folks comprise about 48% of those experiencing homelessness last year, also less than 20% of the state population. And we know there's a number of reasons for this, but we certainly do have a homelessness and affordability crisis. But we also, as you mentioned, have a real challenge when it comes to the preservation of our existing units as well as accessibility challenges. And I think these have really been compounded by the proliferation of opioids and, and fentanyl and xylazine that hit in the streets, as well as some of the unmet mental health challenges that were no doubt, you know, exacerbated by the, the, the pandemic. And again, you know, these, these burdens weren't felt equally. Uh, folks who are unhoused or at risk really bore a lot of the brunt of these, these challenges. And so, so many factors driving why we're seeing these, these high numbers in these rates. You know, I, I think undoubtedly when we saw some of the pandemic era benefits kind of expire in 2021, and that, you know, fiscal cliff that we all talked about that we we're fearing folks fall, people fell, right? They, they definitely fell. And places like New York City, for example, where deep affordable housing, less than, you know, 1100 the vacancy for that is, is functionally zero. And so, you know, rents for over a decade continue to outpace income. So all this stuff is, you know, really interconnected and, and key drivers to the, the increase that we're seeing. And so the way that we talk about it, it's really important that 
we situate the crisis that we're in, not only as a housing justice framework, but it's absolutely an economic justice framework. It is absolutely a disability justice issue as well as a racial justice issue. So when it comes to the supportive housing conversation here in Albany, we've heard that there's an argument, like in other areas of the state budget, that there's an emphasis on the new and shiny programs and projects over the existing programs and services. What's your experience with that dynamic as the head of an organization with more than 200 nonprofits that develop and operate a supportive housing? Yeah, no, great question. And it's definitely we need a both and approach, right? While we're continuing to develop more quality and accessible supportive housing, it is equally as important for us to preserve our existing, right? Um, Otherwise, we're really just kind of running standing still and we'll be at kind of a net zero in terms of gain of new units You know, one of the programs that we have been, you know, we were here yesterday in Albany for our annual lobby day and talking about preservation is for our program called the New York State Supportive Housing Program, also known as NYSHIP. And so NYSHIP was a really innovative program that started about 40 years ago, where it funded social services for individuals and families experiencing homelessness more at risk of, of homelessness. And it was really first in the nation kind of innovative approach and a, a true testament to New York's commitment to ending homelessness. And currently, as a result of their investment, about 20,000 units across the state receive some type of social service funding through the NYSHIP program. But unfortunately, where we find ourselves in 2024 is that NYSHIP is essentially funded at the same rate it was in 1987. And have things gotten more expensive since the year of my birth? <laughs> you think? <laughs> um, absolutely. And then I think in the last past three or five years with inflation, the cost of everything going up, as well as, again, we are coming out of a really serious pandemic and really are experiencing more complex and intensive behavioral health needs. All of this combined has set us up for a really challenging dynamic. So at the same time, though, the Empire State Supportive Housing Initiative, which was launched, I believe, in the last seven or eight years and brought an additional 20,000 supportive housing units online, has, I believe, a much higher reimbursement rate. What's this dynamic compared to the program you laid out with the, the, the deeper roots in New York? There's a big uh, disparity between these two programs. And so NYSHIP's successor, the Empire State Supportive Housing Initiative, you know, just by comparison, receives 25000 annually for social services as well as rental assistance. And it has a 2% built-in escalator, which NYSHIP does not have, compared to NYSHIP, which only receives 2900 per unit per year for individuals and 3,900 for families, the disparities are huge. Uh, They're not only indefensible, but they make no sense, right? Uh, Especially since we're talking about serving essentially the same populations. Well, before we move on, let me reintroduce you for listeners just joining us. This is the Capitol Press Room, and we're speaking with Pascal Leon, CEO of the Supportive Housing Network of New York, which represents more than 200 nonprofits that develop and operate supportive housing in the Empire State. Well, is this a willful effort by the state to phase out the 40-year-old program, or is it an oversight and we should give the Division of Budget some courtesy here that they just they just missed this one? No, we brought it to their attention several times. For all intents and purposes, you know, NYSHIP has just been left behind, right? And again, as I mentioned, there's no defensible or really discernible reason for, for this huge disparity, except for the fact that 
that's how it's been. This takes a toll, right? When you talk about the the 20,000 units that get funding from NYSHIP, you know, the network found that of that 20,000, 9,000 of them, NYSHIP is their sole source of social service funding. And of that 9,000, 7,000 of them lack any dedicated source of rental assistance. And so that really hampers, you know, operating budgets and often leads to, you know, deferred maintenance and, you know, thinking about leaky roofs and faulty elevators and, you know, outdated facilities, buildings that are not energy efficient or, or accessible, right? Yesterday at our lobby day, we had one tenant uh, with me in a, in a member's office who was just talking about her 12-story senior building that is NYSHIP funding that funded that has uh, broken elevators. And so there were no elevator access for over a week for a 12-story senior supportive housing building. Like that is just not, you know, in any way defensible. So then what is the proper recourse in this year's state budget and I imagine budgets into the future? Our ask has been to essentially ask the governor and the legislature to convert NYSHIP and particularly the most at risk of going offline, the 9,000 that I mentioned that are severely underfunded to ESHI through a five-year phased-in approach that will eventually create some type of fiscal parity among our different supportive housing programs in the state, and it will cost the state $32 million in year one on top of the existing funding, which I believe is about $45 million for the, the NYSHIP program. So it's a, a five-year phased-in approach to bring those 9,000 units to ESHI levels. And when we think about state budget and making investments, there's often this argument that the state and its priorities can be uh, a penny wise and a pound foolish. So when we think about this $32 million investment, what's the alternative? Are are there other costs that the state might have to uh, incur that end up being a lot more expensive? For example, if people move out of this regular stabilized housing and then might need, say, emergency homelessness support? Absolutely. And we all know, you know, data and research and studies after study show that not only is supportive housing the most effective intervention for ending homelessness, but it saves costs. To keep someone in shelter in one night is cost more than it it does for supportive housing. When you think about other preventable costs, whether it's emergency services, hospital, you know, emergency departments or other emergency services, it doesn't make sense. We'll be paying for it elsewhere. Just given where we find ourselves, we're truly, you know, record numbers of homelessness, we can't afford to lose one single unit or have folks return back to homelessness. And we've been talking about investment to address those 9,000 at-risk units. Is there a likelihood that the other, I think, what'd you say, 20,000 total, so 11,000 remaining units would need to be folded into the uh, more updated program at some point and get that higher level of reimbursement? Well, you know, we we focused on the 9,000, especially since they have no additional source of social service funding, right? And so providers over the years to address the gap, many of them had to cobble together different resources, whether it's private funding or blending or braiding other existing resources to fill the gap. There are other sources that they're able to rely on. So we're focusing really on the 9,000 that have no other additional source of social service funding. And finally, I'm curious, in light of the influx of asylum seekers that we've seen in New York, how, if at all, has that impacted the work of supportive housing and the members that you interact with? 
we definitely know that the influx of migrants seeking asylum in our state has definitely put a strain on our social services agencies and safety nets, and it requires solutions that can't just be municipal-based. We really need a state, city, and and federal response to, to the challenges we're seeing. Well, we've been speaking with Pascal Leone. They are the CEO of the Supportive Housing Network of New York, which represents more than 200 nonprofits that develop and operate supportive housing. Pascal, thanks for visiting us in the studio. Thanks so much for having me. Support for the Capitol Press Room provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State union strong. Visit unionstrongny.org for more information.